Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Rolling Elk Shape Podcast number 38-ish. With me, Dan the Fitness Man, today I'm sitting down with a good friend of mine who is a great elk hunter and an even better human being. And I think when you're done listening to this one especially, you're going to you know, be inspired, educated, motivated to continue to make yourself the best version of yourself. That is the whole point of this podcast. It's, yes, good information, how to get past the elk hunting learning curve, how to be more successful. But really, we want to make you more successful at life. We want to make you work hard in the name of better elk hunting and use elk hunting as your launch pad. So to recap what we're going to talk about with Levi, we're going to learn more about him and his fitness journey, how he got into functional fitness and cross training. He's a CrossFit level two coach. Uh, we're also going to learn a little bit about like how he budgets his time being an educator and blue collar. I mean, he doesn't get much time to elk hunt. So how to be basically an animal out there in the mountains when you have limited amount of time. We're going to also talk about uh, some elk hunting tactics and what he could teach his old self um, as far as going back in time and kind of correcting some mistakes that he made early on. And then we're going to talk about his bull he killed on public land this year. And we're going to also talk about finances for elk hunting and how to stay disciplined on top of that. And we even get into a little bit of stuff that I'm just going to talk about now. Uh, we're going to talk about Joe Rogan a little bit on this podcast. And I think Joe Rogan's done so much for the elk hunting. He's created a a bright spot in his life with elk hunting and showcased that it is cool to be a hunter and hunting is conservation. And for that, I thank him. Um, we do bring up kind of like the fact that I don't know how many elk Joe's killed. He's probably killed less than five, but I bet not one of them is under 300 inches because he has the resources to hunt places that many of us do not. And that's not a reason to hate on him. It's just a reason to focus on ourselves and our own success and what we can do to prepare for success and define what success is for us, which us Public land, blue collar, normal guys is just filling the freezer. That's the bottom line. And then if you know you shoot a spike or a rag or a 300 plus inch bull, good for you, great. But celebrate the places that you go. We call it trophy elk hunting, not because of the size of the bull's antlers, but the size of the memories, the trophy country that where the elk live. And Levi and I get into that and kind of set the set the standard for what we'd like to see more folks post whatever they kill be, and be proud of it and not judge others on how they hunt, but focus on just what we can do, which is the gift of blue collar, public land, over-the-counter tag that you bought at Walmart and hunting your butt off every day, working your tail off year-round, really, for this hunt. And that's what we're all about. So thanks for listening. If you want to support this podcast, simple. Go to elkshape.com. We're going to have some new swag rolling in pretty soon. Check out my my hand-picked partner list of the people that support elk shape and what we're all about these are great companies that i believe in and uh check out the podcast give us a one of those like five star reviews and then don't forget to check youtube slash elk shape i just launched 10 episodes day by day elk hunting with me 
in Idaho on public ground. You can see what it's all about. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this one. Well, let's do this, bud. I think this is going to be episode 39. Um, Started the podcast almost a year ago, so uh, we're getting close to, you know, I think we're averaging a little bit more than one a week, but I'm sorry, not quite one a week, but my goal was to put one or two out a month, so I'm ahead of schedule, but... Heck yeah, you're doing great, man. It's as good as I can do, given my capacity of... <laughs> Come on, Dan, you mean you can't handle one more thing? Yeah, no doubt, but let's introduce you guys. Welcome to Elk Shape Podcast. Today's a super special episode for me personally, because I'm talking to literally one of my best buddies. Like, I, if Levi lived close to me, we'd be inseparable like he's he's my people and uh i've known him for a long time i will tell the story of how i met you i think it's a good one but uh levi day (laughs) go ahead and introduce yourself all right so my name is levi day um as dan said i was actually thinking about um our introduction in the very beginning and how we we came to be i went out and was bird hunting this morning and i was like man it's we're like 10 years now dan it's it's a long time um yeah, so I'm super honored to be on here. Uh, love what you're doing. I literally only listen to three podcasts, and you're one of them. So, uh, with the time that I have during the day, it's just so limited. And um, yeah, it's super cool to be on here. That's cool. So you are by day a educator, a correct? Hu- a husband. Yes, sir. The most important job I do. And then you have fur babies. So let's just kind of break down what it's like in the day of Levi and, uh, what he does and, and how he lives. Cool. So, um, yeah, I am an educator in a very small town. Uh, I live in a small town in Oregon. So whenever you're part of education in small town world, you wear a lot of different hats. Currently right now I teach third and fourth grade PE, seventh and eighth grade PE. I teach a high school weights class and I teach two periods of CTE. So career technical education in the health fields. And then I'm also the athletic director. So uh, things are crazy busy for me, but I'm one of those really fortunate guys that gets to work at a four-day school, so that creates more time than for uh, my extracurriculars, which, uh, you know, hunting and fishing takes up all of that time. So, yeah, I get up in the morning, and it's right to it. Tons of emails, tons of work to do, administrative stuff. And then I get to – I have such a great, you know – diversity in my day of working with younger kids and then with older kids and a lot of different goals within that and then train myself in the afternoons and I'm usually home by five shoot the bow a little bit hang out with the dogs and by then my wife's home and get to spend a little bit of time with hers and uh, kind of rinse wash and repeat waiting yep. on the weekend that's cool now you mentioned Jen how long have you guys been married oh gosh this will be uh September we celebrated 13 years Dude, yeah, super cool. By hands down, uh, my biggest accomplishment. She is, uh, she's an amazing, amazing woman, and um, I would be completely lost without her. Yeah, we were talking about the other day. I think we're at 15 years of being together. It's quite interesting for us because uh, you know we're non-traditional. We were uh, roommates, had a mutual acquaintance, and um, she moved in when we were in college, and so we've never not lived together. It's been quite interesting. That is, uh, yeah. There you go. Well, so my goal for today, just kind of set the stage, is like I want people to know you, who you are. I try not to bring on really like famous hunters and stuff like that. I kind of want to bring on the more, quite honestly, the real deal people uh, that are in the trenches 
that hunt off of a budget that mm-hmm. lives that elk shaped lifestyle, which is just, you know, like I say, every time it's hard work, discipline, and it's beating the elk hunting learning curve, uh, and trying to make yourself the best version of yourself using elk hunting as a platform or launch pad and everything <laughs> else you do. So that's what I want to get into Levi. So are your roots in Oregon or are they in Idaho? So, yeah, I grew up in Oregon. Um, I actually was born in Idaho, and then my family moved and bought a ranch in central Oregon. And I grew up and went to high school there. As soon as I was done, I took off and went to college, and my dad sold our ranch, and he moved to Idaho. And as soon as I was done then with college, I I followed suit. So I lived in Idaho for almost 20 years, and um, now I, I just recently this year have made the venture back to Oregon. And it's a little bit of a scary thing. Uh, Oregon's a great state. There's a lot of wonderful people. Um, there's some great opportunities, but I definitely can feel my Idaho roots. Um, I love I love Idaho very, very much. So uh, they're both wonderful, but it's definitely been a transition. They are very different states. Uh, yeah, they are. So when you were in college, you over in Pendleton, tell us a little about your college days. I think they're pretty interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm like the guy that was like not going to go to college. I had no interest. Um, I was been an athlete forever. And uh, my main athletic prowess was through the sport of rodeo. So I rodeoed a bunch. And then as I think it was my senior or my end of my junior year, I'd had quite a bit of success um, and was approached by a community college, actually that's in Pendleton to come and rodeo for them. And, um, Kind of kicked it around. I was like, yeah, what the heck? I'll, I'll go college rodeo. So I went to college and rodeoed on a full scholarship there. And then um, later transferred on to Eastern Oregon University to finish my bachelor's. And yeah, it, it was a uh, college rodeo in there was really, really awesome. There's, you know, a lot of people. Rodeo is a really different sport compared to what most people think of when they think of like Division One, big football or volleyball or basketball. So most of the national championships are actually won by community colleges and sport of rodeo. And with rodeo, it's not an NCAA sanctioned event. So they're allowed to pay their athletes. So it's actually a pretty lucrative thing for any of you out there that might be interested or have kids like rodeo is an expensive thing, but at the same token, there is some real opportunity. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. Okay. And then we're going to jump into, so you, you became a teacher um, and somewhere along the line, you got introduced into, I'm going to call it functional fitness. I want to, so I want you to yeah. touch, touch on how you got into that. That grew into basically jumping all in into CrossFit and becoming an instructor, working at a gym there on the side, and then furthering your education, getting your master's. Tell us about that part of your life. Oh, man, that's, it's such a long journey. So like I said, I, I've been an athlete my entire life and I've always been kind of undersized for my sport. So I was a timed event guy when it came to rodeo. Uh, one of the events that I did was the year wrestling and I walk around right now at like five, 10, 160 pounds on a good day. Like I'm pretty stoked when I break 160. Well, back in the day, um, I was like, I was the guy that would roll up to McDonald's and I wanted, you could get five cheeseburgers for five bucks. Right. So I'd mix that up between, you know, you get like three McChickens and two cheeseburgers, college, college uh, type budget. And I wanted to put as much on lack of education, but wanted to put as much weight on as I could because as a steer wrestler, I was a very little guy. So and then I also, unfortunately, like most people, I guess, in college, you kind of experiment with the barley pop quite a bit. 
and um, things all of a sudden I did get bigger and but I didn't get bigger in the way that really would would help my overall athletic ability and after I was done rodeoing um, I got married and my wife is a phenomenal cook and I kind of fallen away from you know the gym and even with just to back it up started to kind of get ahead of myself but my gym earlier on in my life was based around um, probably similar to most people's experiences, you know, doing some supersets, uh, basic what I like to call anymore kind of bro fitness stuff, you know, three sets of 10 on our bench press at 70%, you know, we're doing some skull crushers and some bicep curls and, and then segregating all my fitness into whether it was, you know, cardio strength and cardio didn't exist because I didn't think I needed it. So I even fell away from that at the later point when I was done rodeoing and I married my wife and man, I just, one day I was kind of looked at myself in the mirror, saw a picture someone took of me and I was absolutely just astounded at what had happened, you know, and who I had became and starting to have joint pain and all kinds of issues. And I, I was like, okay, something in my life, needs needs to change and I, I remember one of the biggest things that helped tip that scale is I was actually on an elk hunt and for the first time in my life I, I had spotted this bull across this canyon and it was it was legit canyon we're talking a ton of work you know I grew up hunting the breaks of the Snake River uh, we're talking you know Hell's Canyon stuff so the deepest canyon in the United States and a lot of work I had never been somebody in my entire life that had ever like ducked away from doing hard things. But I'd realized that I'd become at that moment that I'd become so soft in my life and I'd made everything so easy all the time that I literally opted to pass. I wouldn't tell anybody else this at the time, but I opted to pass strictly out of fear of the amount of work that it was going to take to get there. Mm -hmm. So not only was I at a point in my life where I was physically far from being at what my potential was, I was starting to feel aches and pains of things. And I mean, yes, I've abused my body very hard, but we're talking, I'm 25 years old, like, holy smokes, what's going on. But the worst part was I I'd become really mentally weak and I knew something had to change. So I came home for that from that experience and was um, just sick with myself, um, embarrassed and started kind of looking around and seeing what there was out there. And uh, I knew that I wanted to take what it was that I loved and the platform of hunting in general and figure out a way to have a little piece of that every day to make myself better every single day so that when I was ever presented with an opportunity like that again, not only was I, I going to be physically prepared, but more importantly, I'd be mentally prepared. So I found functional fitness. I found other people within our community that were, it was kind of really the beginning phases of it, but that were trying to do the same things. I mean, their, their motivation behind working so hard was to be better in the mountains. And what what I didn't realize at the time, though, was how pursuing that, taking the platform of hunting and working so hard and finding a little piece of what I loved and was so passionate about every day, 
was it wasn't just going to make me better in the mountains. It's made me a better man. And finding finding ways in my life and finding other people who were doing the same thing to do hard things, whether um, it was choosing to go back to school and pursue my master's degree, or it was, you know, some terribly gnarly workout every day that I've done things to make myself, you know, not to, it's very cliche, but to, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable has, has made a, tr- a tremendous difference in me all the way around. I think that's awesome. So you kind of had an aha moment and then your personality probably like many of us listening is all or none. We can't help ourselves. And you just kind of made a decision to, to go all in and you, that's funny. Cause my wife says, not to interrupt you. My wife calls me and says, I'm like a light switch. I'm either, it's either completely obsessed or totally not interested. Those are my two stages. Perfect. I love that. That's yeah. That's what I know. So <laughs> yeah, you started getting into the functional workouts and let's just kind of fast forward for time's sake. Where are you at now? Not only weight wise, body fat percent, you kind of said your weight, but, but fitness level, your age, like compared to the Levi I first met almost 10 years ago. Yeah. So right now I don't know exactly what my body fat percentage is. Um, I know that I've had it tested prior and I ran at like six and a half. And I would say now I'm probably right around that, maybe a little bit less. But I am far stronger and better than I've ever been. I continue to get better. And I'll, I'll be 37 in January. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm a level two CrossFit certified coach. And uh, I coach a lot of athletes even here. And I've coached a lot of athletes. And it's, uh, the, the journey for me has been unbelievable. But it's, um, it's definitely one of those things that you have to step back and, you know, you hear people talk about that it's just moving the needle a little bit every day and as time goes on and you look back at where you came and it's absolutely astounding. And I definitely fit, fit that mold. I spend most of my, time, of my time, whether even when I was coaching at a really, at a big box or um, being around a lot of athletes, I still spend the majority of my time, it seems like, just grinding on my own. And in doing that, it, it really does speak volumes to that, you know, that just move the needle a little bit every day and then look over time and it's amazing where you came. Yeah. I, I look back and think of things I can do. I was even talking to my wife the other day. It's amazing how I remember when I went for some reason, this, this milestone stands out when I broke a 300 pound deadlift, like that's not very much to a lot of people. And I understand that. And, um, but the other day it's like, okay, i pulled a set of three of touch and go at 365. Wow. Like, holy smokes. Like it hasn't been that long ago, you know, and, but it really, it has, it's just, this journey's been, like you said, that really the 10 year mark, you know, when me finding you and our relationship starting, um, was really right about the beginning of, of where all that takes off. That's awesome. So you are, I didn't know you were level two. That's cool. Obviously, you probably integrate some CrossFit methodology into your physical education. I just Absolutely. saw recently there's now a specialty course for educators of fitness that you can do through CrossFit HQ. I think that's, yeah. that's pretty interesting. I know you're always hungry for more knowledge. 
and then you got your master's degree and tell us a little bit about what your master's is in and, and what that did for you. So, yeah, I pursued a master's degree um, th- through the same institution that you actually did, uh, Go Vulcans, right? So uh, California University of Pennsylvania, I have a master's in exercise science. Uh, my emphasis, though, is in fitness and wellness. Um, as an educator, I do teach health classes, and um, I have a, a really great interest in the longevity piece. So where you look at... Um, Performance enhancement specialists a lot of times uh, are focusing on just that, trying to help athletes reach peak potential within a a small time period. Um, And I really love the thought of being able to climb the mountains at 70 Mm -hmm. and helping other people be able to realize this, this lifestyle of wellness and how it really does translate to all areas you know it's it you can't have be a super fit dude and really good in the gym without it increasing other areas of your life and like I said I I keep coming back to mental toughness but I I think it's so important in the world that we live in today that we've gone so soft in so many different areas and lost our way really and in an ability to embrace doing hard things and finding value in that you know I I read a book that's been a couple years ago now, but uh, an author that I really love is John Eldritch. And um, he's a Christian author and he wrote a book called Wild at Heart. And he talks about how what men are searching for and at boys are growth and why we do the things that we do in our spirit. And um, not to get too, you know, spiritual on you, but just looking at through hard things that we do in our life as little boys, whether it's explore, you know, in our exploration or our building or our playing in the dirt, um, that we receive validation for that. And it helps us to gain confidence and be able to tackle bigger adversities in our life as we move forward. And I just see such a direct correlation in a wellness lifestyle of having discipline when it comes to, you know, your food intake to, making sure that you're hitting those workouts to every day, making sure that I tell my wife how much I appreciate her or the people around me. All of those things are connected in that they take people living a life that is intentional and, um, and have the discipline. That's gold, man. And I read that book a long time ago and, um, every man needs a test they need to feel tested and that they can know that they can conquer and then they need a, a beauty to rescue. Those mm-hmm. are just kind of in our DNA. And I couldn't relate to more. To elk hunting has always been my test, my personal CrossFit games or my Super Bowl. It's what I train for year round mm-hmm. and I get ready for that and I never know what's going to happen, but I just try to be prepared for any and all eventualities. And I always get tested mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually, uh, my attitude is totally tested and you overcome adversity year after year. And the more reps you get at overcoming adversity, the easier it is. And like this year is a great example for me. I mean, I had to walk away from a 12 year tag in Wyoming to take care of my wife. And, you know, I, I rebounded, you know, I I knew it was going to be hard, but I, it's just adversity. It's nothing different than 
And mm-hmm. uh, I learned so much about myself from elk hunting. So for anyone who's listening that's not an elk hunter, I always try to like relate these things to the people that I work with at my gym and just tell them this, there's so much more to me just going out and killing this animal. Like there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot at stake. It kind of defines who I am as a man. And if you don't have that in your life, I hope you can find something that can test you and something that can drive you like the way elk, hunt, elk hunting has for me. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah. And, it, and it's not like in an, in an egotistical way, you know, people think of like, oh, so you killing this animal is defining who you are. And it's not that at all. It's in, it's in exploration. It's in all pieces. It's being in nature. It's centering, it's reconnecting, it's sweat, it's disappointment. It's the ultimate of high and exhilaration. Um, it's being proud of being part of the whole process. It's, it's really, for me, it's awe. It really is, you know, to look at creation, to think that I have this opportunity to be out doing it and then to realize that I put the work in all year long because I'm, I'm absolutely, I think I almost am at the point where I love the process more than I do the result. Like you you better, you better listen up people. If you don't love the process, you're in trouble. You're in, oh gosh, there's no doubt. There is no doubt because we lose far more than we win in, in all areas of life. You know, and if you if you can't love to grind, to research on new arrows, to do the workouts you don't want to do, to research new areas, to the late night hike ins when you're limited on time because you work. So you're walking in in the dark to be three or four miles back in at the middle of the night so that you're there where you need to be in the morning because you had to work till four o'clock on Friday. Like all of those sacrifices I am absolutely enamored with them. I, I don't know. It's just that to me is I can geek on that stuff all day long, man. Oh, for sure. Well, let's talk about, we're going to get into elk hunting. We kind of got your background. We kind of covered fitness as much as I want to talk about without, you know, losing people's interest. Like I usually don't <laughs> dive into what exactly you're doing and get into heart rates and interval training and macronutrient ratios. And there's a mm-hmm. time and I should, I'll do that more if people want more. Because I love talking about that stuff, but I want to relate it to the blue collar people because in my mind, the reason why you and I don't hunt much together is because of your schedule. You have a very finite number of days off as an educator and school starts right when hunting season starts. So how have you done so well in the mountains with your limited amount of time? Can you tell people the story of like how you get out, how you get your hunts in? You're pretty much a weekend warrior a lot of times and you still find success. Yeah, so this is actually the district that I've just moved to, and all school districts are a little bit different. I spent eight years in a district that I literally got two personal days a year, and the school was five days a week. So, oh, it was so, so tough. I I really have to do a ton of studying on what it is that I'm going to and where I'm going to dedicate my time. Because, you know, you're looking at School starts started at that district at August, like, let's say August 15th, you know, roughly. And so I would have a three-day weekend, the opening of archery season, which we all know is it's a tough time to go kill bulls. There's, there definitely can get it done. Um, but when we all think of the magic time, that's not, we, we're not thinking about stacking our time around, you know, Labor Day. So, but for me, that was a, a three-day weekend. And then usually I could take two days and... I would have to hit, it would just be something I'd have to do a bunch of research on and looking at moon phases 
and you know where I'd seen a bunch of elk and obviously I would only when it pertained to elk hunting that time I hunted areas that I knew really really well um, and it that was going to increase my odds tremendously because I knew elk behavior I had a really good understanding of where they were going to go when pressure came and where those elk would take cows to rut so that was something that I had to do during that time Fast forward, things are a little bit have freed up. I, I get more personal time off now, and I am at a four-day school, but I still imply a bunch of the same principles. You know, I am fortunate then to have the summers, and in the summertime, I spend a lot of time scouting and, you know, going back to that process. Um, of course, I always pack a fly rod because that's something else I love to do, but I spend a lot of time scouting, and then I spend a lot of time um, really even on the computer and looking at um, what in my mind areas that are going to hold elk, you know, that they hold the golden three things we need, you know, food, cover and water. So I scour over maps and then find areas that I can go check out. And then I spend a lot of time boots on the ground, just checking that stuff out. And then I'm a little bit reluctant to jump areas. You know, I, I really like to spend time in areas that I, I know pretty well when it comes down to being, if I know I need to go be successful, I, I, I want to go to those areas. I wish that I was in a situation and I'm starting to get, I think, more to where I can venture out because for me, the ultimate is getting to go to a brand new area and be successful. Like even if it's on a, you know, I'm notorious for being a raghorn guy. Like I'm okay with that. I love that. I love the meat. I love the experience. It doesn't cheapen it for me at all. So, but to go to a brand new area that I haven't been to other than my scouting and to be successful is something that really feels good to me. Like that's a really big challenge. So I'm, I'm hoping that's something I can start doing more in the future, but I don't know if that really answers your question directly, but that's, that's what I've done in the past to help me be successful is I've targeted a certain area and I've just spent years and dedicated it. Like this is, you know, and I try to pick areas that are as close to home, even if at that time they weren't um, areas that necessarily offered me the greatest potential in overall herd numbers, proximity won over because I could bomb run after work maybe, or I wasn't wasting as much time traveling to and from my house to be able to be in the elk woods. Because uh, I, I truly believe the ultimate killer is time. Oh, Nothing's more efficient. 100%. So I want to go into your Elk, I want to hear the story, which I have not heard yet about your bull that you got this year. But first, let's put you in a situation where Levi Day can go back and coach the old Levi Day who is suffering in the elk hunting learning curve. What are some things, if you can go back and mentor yourself, that you would educate yourself on right away to kind of get you past that learning curve? One of the biggest things, though, we didn't have that we're so fortunate to now is, is technology. Like... The, the technology piece has been just absolutely invaluable. And also with, you know, you, you love it, you hate it. Um, social media and your ability to connect with other people is so powerful. So when I was younger and first starting, I didn't come really from your traditional hunting kind of background. I mean, I grew up on a ranch and stuff, but my dad worked very hard. He was the divisional meat manager for Albertsons. He ran every Albertsons in the Western United States. Um, so he was, a very busy guy and he was gone a lot. 
Um, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather who took me and he, he was really my outlet of where I would talk about hunting and he would then input his knowledge. And I was always just craving information all that I could. I can remember, um, there was a little market chicken house is what we called it, but they were the place they do like fried chicken or whatever, but they also sold, you know, back in the day VHS. And I can remember watching like Gordon Eastman's high wild and free 55,000 times, you know, anything that I could do to try to learn about elk habitat, um, elk behavior, even as a really young kid was, was something that I was just completely driven by. So I I think the things that I would go back and tell myself, you know, you fast forward a little bit to where I was, I was struggling would be to start diving into the process more of how to make myself more well-rounded rather than just looking at and learning elk habitat and trying to connect with other people who had common interests. I definitely was missing that piece of like, you need to take a little part of preparation every single day. Whereas I was much more traditional in the sense, or at least my, my um, perception of what traditional is of these people that they love to hunt. They truly do. But like they shoot their rifle three days before season because it's hunting season and we're really excited. And then they go out and they fall into the statistic, you know, of that person that I kill cow, calf or bull one every seven years, you know, cause that the last statistic I heard, that's what it is on, you know, the average elk hunter of how, what their success is like. And, and I think that I fell into that. I was super passionate, but I almost didn't even know where to channel all that energy. It would just ball up all year. If that makes sense. Like totally the little kid, and still am at 36 years old that like doesn't sleep the night before I get to go. Even if it's the third week of season, it's terrible. If it's the first trip that I get to go for that week, like I get, I don't sleep. Yeah. But having somewhere to channel that energy then, whether it was in now, especially that I, I devote more time as a bow hunter to just honing every area of my craft, whether it was learning to call elk or it's the archery component or it's the fitness component or it's the scouting component. I was just much more about the hunt and learning about elk and I was just completely taken by elk. And I I think finding a way to, like I said, to reach out into all areas and realizing how they all really contribute to the whole. Now you mentioned technology has changed quite a bit your game. So if you, what is the one piece of technology you think that newbies should really invest in or spend as much time as possible in is it the you know the onyx hunt or is it the google earth or something i don't know tell me i'm a big onyx guy uh for sure i spend a lot of time on it um as a guy once again that has limited time i'm kind of starting to enter in i'm about oh let's say four years into this out-of-state game where i'm kind of starting to play in other states and it just Frankly, with my schedule, logistically, I, I'm going to places that most of the time I've never even put boots on the ground. So when having that, that piece of technology is unbelievable. And then the other one is I think that we don't talk about and utilize enough is, is just simply networking people. You know, you take something like um, – I hate to reference this. not like I'm a guy who's on Instagram all the time. But you take an Instagram and we start to you, – you can – get at least an idea of people that have the, the same drive as you and are in it for the same reasons as you and are dedicated and people are unbelievably kind. 
uh, in my experience. I truly believe that with this group and this platform, you have people that are so willing to share and so willing to help others that it's unbelievable. Um, so reaching out and networking and just talking about whether it's tactics or equipment or even country. I mean, a lot of these, these tags that I know I'm applying for in other states, they're not top, you know, the, the ones that Eastman's is talking about or everyone's talking about as top level units, but they're dang sure units that um, people aren't afraid to share with you a little bit because it's not like it's their backdoor hunting hole, you know? I mean, somebody lives there and it probably is, but the guys that I talk to a little bit, it's, it's amazing how much they will share and they want to see you be successful. And those are the type of people I want to be around anyway. I want to see people that are as excited about my success as they are their own. And because and, I know that's the way that I feel. I love helping other people, you know, achieve something that they work really hard at and they care about. And that's, that's powerful for me. Dude, I, I think that's – I think people aren't afraid to reach out, at least not in my direct message inbox. I, I get a lot of people. I always do my best to try to answer as much as I can without giving – You know, That is awesome. I try. I really do because like I've said before on some of my YouTube videos, your success will never get in the way of mine because I work too hard for whatever mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I really believe that. Like, and uh, My success will never get in the way of Levi Day's success. It's just not going to happen. Like, You work too hard as well, and you have too much – you know at stake. Like you work Mm -hmm. your tail off year round. It's not a a season. It's a year round pursuit. That's awesome. I want to get into your season this year, kind of give us the background and how you ended up shooting a nice bull on public land. So this season was like, I hate, it was like the perfect stereotype of the ups and downs, roller coasters of archery elk hunting. I, and I learned so much this season. I, I had the opportunity to hunt with a buddy of mine that we've talked about hunting together for a long time. And we finally got to make it, make it kind of happen this year. And just to give you a little bit of uh, information about him, this guy is, in my opinion, one of the best elk callers I, I've ever seen. And it showed me so much of like, holy smokes, Levi, here's a huge hole in your game. And I've known that for a long time, I majority of all the elk then I've killed with my bow have almost all been spot and stock prior to that. Like I would get frustrated just like everybody else of, you know, you call and you swear elk turn and run away. And, you know, you start to hear that from other people. And I almost started to kind of buy into that and thinking like, okay, well, if everybody else is doing it that way, then I'm going to do it this way and I'll be successful. And it's worked. Um, and I, and I've, I've killed elk and, and it's been awesome of just, you know, let elk be elk and I'll figure out a way to get, get in there and get one killed. But then fast forward to this year to having a guy that I feel like, holy smokes, can <laughs> he was, I call him the wizard. Like it really was, it was so impressive to sit back and watch and I was in awe and it so inspired me to, to change my game. Like I've been home and I've had a read in my mouth every day since I shot my bull on the 22nd of September. Like I'm down in the man cave and I'm cow calling and I'm bugling and working on doing different things. And it's been super awesome. But so this season, day one, um, I was able to stack the school I'm at now starts a little bit later. We don't start actually in Oregon till after Labor Day. So it's really great season in Idaho opened up. Uh, I believe it was the 30th. So I had like five days of uninterrupted elk hunting, which Dan, I, I can't even tell you the last time I got to stick five days together. I know, so man. 
it was unbelievable. So I get there, I even get there a day early, you know, and we do a little scouting and we got an area that he feels really good about. And actually with this area, this is an area that I've hunted a ton, but this particular spot was one that, that he spent a lot of time in and was gracious enough to be like, Hey, let's go in there. So we hike back in the trailhead before dark or before it gets daylight. I don't know. We probably get maybe a mile back in and it's dark and we're sitting there waiting. And he's like, I think we should wait here for a little bit because, you know, this bull will have, he started to have some cows already broke off and he's going to take them up the head of this drainage. So we're sitting there waiting and all of a sudden he decides, well, I'm just going to just throw a locator out. And it's still dark and he bugles and this bull just fires off like he's 150 yards away. So we're just waiting like, oh crap, I need to hurry up and get light. Please get light, please get light, please get light. We work our way up in and we're going to close the distance. And this time the bull bugles, but it sounds like he's going the other direction. We're like, gosh dang, that's weird. So we kind of ease up a little bit and we get set up nothing and we didn't say anything and then the bull i think the bull bugled again and it again it sounded like he was going away so we pick up and we just beat feet up there and we're running to try to close the distance mind you it's like 701 right so yeah. it gets daylight at like 658 and he lets off another bugle and this bull fires right back and next thing i know like all you can hear is hooves and I'm completely surrounded. And this bull kind of, he's quartering. There's a spike that comes into like five yards. And my buddy's like, oh, great. You know, Levi's notorious for whacking the spike. And I'm, I'm all about that. I love it. But this bull had a cow and he's pushing her and the spikes at like five yards. And I'm pinned and I'm afraid I'm not going to get drawn. And I'm the spike. And I couldn't see all the bull. And he's out there. At, I think he was like 42, 43 yards well, this standoff goes on for, you know, the typical seems like forever. Well, the cow kind of rolls off back to my right. And at that time, she had, the bull kind of had his head down and was blocked. So I drew and the spike had turned and walked off. And I'm thinking he's going to come right through this opening that's to the right. The cow just filters through and I'm going to stop him. And this is going to be over right now. Well, he moves off to my left. And when he does... He breaks into this small opening, and my buddy who's calling doesn't see the bull, but he thinks I'm going to shoot the spike now who's stopped. And it's a big cluster, you know. This is how elk <laughs> cotton always works. And just pure luck, he cow calls and stops the bull, the bull that I'm going to shoot, and the spike, which he's looking at. And then he's like, what the heck? He's drawn and facing the wrong direction. But he stops the bull. His head's behind the tree, but he's just like he's not, I hate to use the words quarter and to me, but he's like one step to me. Like if you tuck it in there tight, you're fine. No problem. I pull through the shot. Everything feels good. Um, I could tell at that moment, uh, arrow was definitely, you know, height wise was perfect. But if I could have walked up and put the arrow right where I wanted it, it would have been four inches closer to the shoulder. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm heartbroken, right? Yep. And my buddy Jesse is, he's like, no, it looked good. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. So we waited like 45 minutes, walk up, go to find the arrow. Sure as heck, I, the arrow's guts. 
you know, we don't have, we don't have good blood, um, start on the trail, but I've got a good blood trail. And it's definitely, as we're moving, like, okay, so it's, looks like lung blood. So we wait another 45 minutes because I'm like, well, let's just wait and see. The trail looks good. I know for sure the arrow's reading gut on the offside. So best case scenario, we're hoping for one lung, liver, you know. Which is a lethal. That's a lethal shot, right? One lung, liver. You're going to die. Absolutely. We're good. And so we give it that extra time. And, and. All the while, like, I'm starting to feel that, okay, here comes adversity, right? So we often think of just adversity of when we're packing something out or you're day seven and you haven't hardly seen anything or had an opportunity. But this is gut-wrenching adversity, too. You know, you're in that situation where um, you know a negative attitude is going to do you no good. But you have all of this heavy, like, this cloud over you that starts to be like, oh, my gosh, you know, did you really just blow it? Not just in wanting to be for my own selfish success, but like out of respect for the elk. Like, oh my gosh, you know, I pride myself in being very, very lethal. To make a short story long, uh, we we continued up on the trail. Um, There was great blood. And then, you know, as elk do, we just like light switch. And it went off and we spent three days and we spent the rest of that day looking to no avail. I came back the next day even. I have my bird dog was up there with me. Um, I brought her in and she spent a lot of time tracking blood too. And uh, nothing. I actually hunted the the next the third day, hunted back in the area, and you know as well as I do, I mean, if if the bull would have died in there anywhere in this basin that we were in, like there'd be birds, I'd smell dead, like there there would be something. And we hunted like we hunted it, but I was kind of the whole time I was thinking like, okay, I'm looking for my elk is what I'm really doing. And yeah, it was absolutely devastating. Like I honestly went through that. What do I do? You know, do I cut my tag? Um, what do I do? I, I had an opportunity. I blew it. Um, I actually came home at the end of the five days and, you know, had the conversation with my wife, wasn't sure, you know, what to do. And this was my first experience. I've shot a lot of, of elk in my life and a lot of animals. And um, I, I knew it can happen to anybody. And I know that, you know, the old saying, if you hunt long enough, it happens. It's going to happen. And if it hasn't, you haven't hunted long enough. And um, But I, I was really devastated about it. And I had to get back on the horse. So I decided that for me personally, um, I felt okay with that. And, you know, it might not be the right call for someone else, but... Um, based upon my ethics, I, I, I felt okay with the, the amount of work I put in to try to recover the bull. I felt like I did everything that I could and that there may even be a, a chance that, that the bull lived because elk are the most resilient animals I've ever seen. So I, I opted to, to go ahead and, and continue hunting. So I took, um, I did not go back to, by this time, like I said, I'm living in Oregon. So I didn't return to Idaho then until... Um, the, I took a week and a half off and I went back for a couple of days. Things were really slow. Um, saw a lot of elk, had some activity, nothing presented itself. Um, then was able to stack some more time off Was actually planned to put five days together again and went back on the 22nd or the 21st of September. And on the 22nd that morning we got up and 
took off from the pickup an hour before dark or before daylight and got back in where we wanted to and threw a location bugle out and sure enough this bull rips off um and it sounds like he definitely has cows we can hear the cows calling but he's going away and we think that there's we're kind of at the intersection of where two big drainages come together he's going up the south facing ridge a big bald knob pushing these cows up going to drop over into the next basin on the north side into some heavy timber we think he's going to bed in and we know that you know you get in a tail chase with him there's just absolutely no way so drop down off um into this other canyon go clear up and around Um, by the time we get back to where we think he might be bedding it's like i don't know it's probably 10 45 and nothing we cannot cannot get this bull to talk to us can't get the cows to talk to us nothing and we really had almost written the morning hunt off and we were coming back and we were probably only oh maybe 200 yards from where that bull initially bugled at us and there's this little side cut draw going up into this big canyon and we're doing the typical like you know you haven't you don't no one wants to say the hunt's over but we're kind of visiting a little bit not really paying a ton of attention and we decided just to cow call for fun. And uh, sure enough, this bull just fired. Like, he's like 75 yards right down in the bottom. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like, right there. He, he just went and went up in that little side draw and wasn't going to go anywhere. So we get down in there, and we're, we're in this perfect saddle. Like, timber's coming through. There's a big south-facing ridge, and there's just this narrow ribbon of timber coming up in a saddle, dropping over into the big one, into the big canyon to the north of us. And we're like, oh, my this is like, you couldn't t- script it any better. He's going to come right up through here, feel really comfortable, and we're going to kill him right here in the saddle, no problem. Well, it didn't work out that way. Um, he ended up, this bull, and I, whether it was the same bull or not, we're not sure because it was dark, and the, the whole, um, our, our thoughts earlier that he was pushing cows up in there were just purely speculation. You know, usually there had been rumors of a good bull in there, so we just assumed, well, this bull was, would bugle at us and he would challenge, but then he's like, uh, you know, I just, I don't really know. And we set up like three times, total cat and mouse down through this canyon. And finally the wizard, my buddy gets him to where he's just fired up. But by, by now he's down in the bottom of this canyon and he's back up the other side in this ribbon of timber. And it's wide open, just huckleberry brush on either side. Like he's holed up in there and he's screaming his guts out, but he's not coming. And then at the bottom, there's a big deep wash and like a, oh, let's say a 50 yard meadow. I don't have a way that I can get down out of the timber on the side that I'm on and get across that and get down up into that timber without him seeing me. So my buddy's back there talking to him and we're both like, I couldn't see him at the time, but we both figured there's no way, you know, this is going to work out. Or I'm sitting there telling myself all my experience, number one, that bull's going to have to have some sort of visual confirmation before he's going to come out of there. Yeah. That's so important. That's so important to elk. Yeah. Regardless if you're hunting where I hunt sometimes in that brush bull country is man. Yeah. They want to smell, but man, that visual is almost as important. Oh yeah. Especially, you know, you, you want to talk kind of call shy bulls or whatever, like, yeah, they need to see something. And I've got in front of me, I have 
I'm in some little scattered pines. I've got a meadow of 50 yards. I've got a bottom wash that's got alders that are 12 feet tall. And then I, which is great, but going through it, I'm going to sound like an elk, which is a good thing too, but I've got openings on both sides. Like there's like, I'm stuck. And I don't know what the wizard said to him, but it was crazy. Next thing I look up and he's coming out of the timber and he comes right down through that huckleberry brush and is going to hit the bottom of the wash. Well, I'm like, man, as soon as you hit the bottom of the wash sucker, I'm going to close as much distance as I can. So he comes down and he hits that bottom and I just take off running and I'm running right at him and he's going down through and it's probably 30 yards wide. And it's that kind of stuff that like you're in and it makes you hate your life. You know, it grabs a hold of your legs and grabs a hold of you and throws you down and whips you in the face. And you think you're bleeding from every orifice that you have, you know, when you go through it, you know, it really well being a North Idaho guy. And he's kind of just hung up in it. And all of a sudden my buddy, I look back and he's walking down. Like he doesn't know he couldn't see the bull come. And he's like 60 yards behind me. And I'm like, get down, get down. And right before that, I had ranged where I thought the bull was going to come out because, you know, just like we we're talking about, there's no way he's going to come across this opening. Like, no way in heck he is. And it was 49 yards right where I thought he would come out and stop and look. So I set my slider 50 yards. Okay, I'm just going to smoke this bull when he comes out. Well, I get Jesse waved down. And he looks, and as soon as I can turn and look back to where he's going to come through, here he is. He's standing there. And I've got, I'm stuck out in the middle of this opening, and the only thing that's next to me is like a Charlie Brown aspen tree. And this bull, it's the craziest thing. I mean, this is how fired up he was. It was one of those, like, you want to talk about just get lucky, the old God smile on you kind of thing. He just looks both ways and he's kind of quartered to me and I'm like, I'm not going to take that shot. You know, I'm kind of got a fresh wound, not feeling very good about it. Yeah. And he just immediately starts to posture and just starts swaying back and forth. And here he comes. He's walking right across this wide opening, eyes rolled back in his head, peeing all over himself, like, Everything that you would want or dream of at night or that keeps me up of what an elk does, like, it was the most rewarding experience ever and, and, and goes against everything I as an elk hunter knew. Like, there is no – I would have lost $100. There's no way this bull is going to come across. Number one, we had to work him for like 45 minutes to an hour to get him in. And there's no way he's going to come across these – down out of the ribbon timber for one, then there's really no way this dude is going to come across this wide open meadow. And I'm sitting out in the middle of it. And sure as heck, here he comes. And I didn't get drawn because like I said, I turned around and he was already there. And he literally just starts posturing and swaying back and forth, almost like a big bull moose. And his eyes are rolled back in his head and he's screaming and peeing all over himself. Let's me draw and I shoot him at 21 yards. Oh. It was just insane. He's so fired up that I shoot him. He runs 10 feet and turns around and just stares at us. Like, no way. Like, yeah, like, that's all you've got? I mean, it was the craziest thing ever. I get another arrow out because I definitely come from that school. You shoot till they're down. And he kind of spooks then at me drawing, actually. But he lets me get another arrow out and he's looking at me. And so... 
you want to talk about to, to rewind a little bit, something that adds to the anxiety of all of it. Not only am I like, he's not going to come across that opening. Then here he comes. Then I'm like, he's never going to let me get drawn. I get drawn. And then you want to know how hard it is to hold off your center pin, to not have it on hair, to shoot an elk at 21 yards. Cause my slider, which I run a double pin, but my top pin then is my slider. And, uh, I'm oh. holding it below his brisket. Oh god. Cuz it's set at 50 yards. Like okay, I have to hold off of hair to shoot an elk. Like that's really really hard to do at 21 yards. But anyway, then he goes and he goes when I get the arrow out, I draw and he kind of spooks a little bit and he starts going straight up this bank. And he stops again. This time I shoot, I hit him again and he takes off running. He goes 100 yards and falls over. I mean, it was just insane. Dan, I mean, that probably my most memorable, like I've shot a lot bigger bulls and I've had the opportunity to shoot a great bull with my wife. And I've had the opportunity to hunt with some amazing people that, you know, it means so much to me, but this experience, uh, not to sound cliche again, but like to go through the highs, the lows, the, like the gut check, like, who are you? What are your ethics? Um, what do you stand for? What kind of man do you want to be? Come back to work really hard to, there's no way this is going to happen to holy smokes. I have to hold my 50 yard pin below his brisket cause he's so close so I can hit him in the boiler room. And yeah, for it all to come together, it was, it was epic. Oh, that sounds so rewarding. Yeah, man. The trials and tribulations of an elk hunter, especially on public land. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, we've talked about fitness. We've talked about your background. We've talked about some elk hunting. Uh, whoever your elk calling buddy is, you're going to have to give me his name after this. We're going to have to bring him on and figure out how, how to become a wizard. Yeah, he is the wizard. I And, yeah, he's a, he's such a great guy. He is just, you know, a moral, ethical guy. He's a believer and a just hard worker. He's a logger and um, falls trees all day, and he's dirty tough and just just a great dude. Great yeah. dude. Yeah, I'd love to introduce you to him. Definitely. Okay, well, I want to transition a little bit, Levi, to uh, finances and discipline. Um, you know, gosh, I, I guess I'll set the stage. Stick, stick with me, Levi. Here we go. Um, this, is, this is not rehearsed, but I'm going to try to just take you through this. Okay. Love I, it. I'm a gym owner. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I used to make almost six figures when I managed gyms off of sales and commissions, but I hated my life. Mm -hmm. I, I, when people walked in the door, I saw dollar signs. Uh, I hate to admit that, but like I was pretty motivated by the paycheck. And then I had, thank God, the biggest blessing. I opened up CrossFit in 2008 and have been self-employed ever since. And I went and cut my salary in half to run the gym. Okay. And then I do a little elk shape hustle on the side. And then my wife is not even a part-time, but a supplemental nurse. And so we don't even bring in over a hundred G's a year. Okay. Now mm -hmm. this is, people don't like getting personal on finances. And I've always stood by that. Dan Staten is transparent. I am who I am. You either love it or you hate it. You can always just go to the next podcast or go to the next Instagram Whatever. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. I'm that, right there with you, dude. Okay, so I'm not – I feel like I'm rich with time, which was what I wanted. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I coach mm -hmm. three days a week. I do 
I work eight days a week because I'm always doing something behind the scenes with the gym. Um, and especially after elk hunting season, I'm trying to revamp my website. I'm doing programming for three months. I just did a member survey. I'm trying to get all the members feedback. I'm training coaches, constantly training coaches on how to do things and all that. Plus run a podcast, be a great husband and a great father, all that. So all that is to say, I still have, I feel like I'm rich with time and I can go elk hunting all of September and I have to work. Basically, I feel like 13 months out of the year so I can have that one month off. And that's fine mm-hmm. with me. Always done that way since I've opened. So with that being said, I was kind of putting my budget together for elk hunting next year. And I've been noticing something on social media, and I'm not afraid to address it. I don't care what other people think. It's just what I think. Like, I was kind of seeing that, uh, like, there's a ranch in Colorado that some big-name guys have been going to called the Hill Ranch. Oh, yeah. Very familiar with the Hill Ranch. I would love to put a budget for next year to go there. And so um, I was looking into start saving, and I started to realize, like, I don't know their prices. Do you know their prices? I have no idea. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant, and they don't put the prices on the menu. Oh, snap. You just know you're in trouble. Okay. Maybe I'm in trouble. So I was trying to figure out a budget because I'd love to hunt really big bulls, and I didn't know if, like, if it's like 10,000 just to get in there and then do you have to pay the guy? You got to tip the guy 10% generally. And then they have like on their website, they have like a trophy fee list. So like if I shoot a bull over 350, it's this much extra, but if it's 360 or higher, it's this much. If it's three, you know, so on and so forth. And I was like, Oh man, so I need to start putting together my budget. And then I also noticed that a lot of Under Armour guys are hunting that ranch in Utah, Utah, and it's like a landowner tag. So I got to figure out how much to get the landowner tag. And then I got to pay the ranch. I got to pay the guide. I got to pay the trophy fee. Um, and then I was looking and this is going to make people mad, but then I, I didn't know you could hunt the, the Indian reservation in Arizona. That place looks pretty sick. Um, how much is that? And what's their trophy fees? And then, uh, Joe Rogan just shot a 370 bull in California on some ranch and, uh, I was looking at maybe budgeting for that, and I know that he also hunted that Utah ranch. So I was trying to piece together my budget, but I was realizing that if I hunted all these places that I just mentioned, I think it would be somewhere over $100,000, and I just told you how much I make. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, it's funny when I hear you saying that, I feel like I'm already in your head of what you're thinking because what I think when I hear all those things is it just as I sit here in my quote-unquote man cave, you know, and I look around at, um, memories, you know, I see bulls sitting here and whitetail and muleys and antelope. And, um, all I can think about when I hear all that is that, man, we already have far more than that. Like, I, I think that with the awareness that's came with public land, it has been super, super positive and it's powerful and it's impacted me like I I, it's one of those cliche things that we know we have an opportunity like yeah if we want to go to Colorado there's public ground there and we can go but like no you really can do it and the fact that until you can really realize that um when I was able to really realize that I should say it's been a a life-changing thing for me I don't you know in in the talking about being super transparent. I've been fortunate to harvest what I think are some really great animals. 
um, a lot of people would scoff at them or be like, you know, I, that's, that's not enough for me. And that's okay. I'm not putting them down for it. For me, though, what it's about, it's just about so much more than that. I've never found anything in my life that really meant much to me or was overly meaningful that I had to go pay for, like with something other than sweat equity or discipline or that I didn't get to do it with the people that I love and in a places that I love. Like, you know, you talk about the hill ranches, like would that be an unbelievable experience? Sure. But am I going to get to bring Dan? No. Am I going to get to have my wife? No. Am I going to get to have the wizard, Jesse? No. Um, okay. Well, do I have any connection to that land? Is that trophy quote unquote country to me? Cause I do, I'm a huge believer in trophy country. Like I'll go whack fork at horns in a place that I think is the most epic spot ever because that's trophy country. Like there's history, I have, whether it's for me or some deeper connection. Like that stuff to me is so meaningful. And I look at all of the ground that we have and the amazing places that we can go because we're so blessed to have all of this public land. And all it takes is you deciding that you want to do it and to put the work in. And it's, you know, you look at guys like, um, you know, the Land of the Free Project, I think, is from, from my perspective, something I really respect. Like that's powerful. The message that they are sending that you really can do this. Do they have sponsors? Do they have this? Do they have, yes. But I, I truly believe the message they are sending is pure that like Levi day who, you know, at one time in my life, I spent like eight years, I made $35,000 a year as a, as a public educator. And I, I can go do this. Like, is there going to be some sacrifice that requires discipline, not only in um, the scouting and um, saving financially and time away from my wife? Absolutely. It's going to come with hard work, but it's also going to be so much more meaningful than to have somebody lead me out to where there's a 360 bull that's never been pressured. Not saying it's not hard still because elk hunting is hard. Those guys that kill great bulls on those places, it's still they still have to kill elk. They have to get it done, and it's still hunting. That, but I'm not going to tell you it's the same. But I've never had the experience that they have. But from my perspective, I can't see where it's the same. Well, I tell you what, Levi. Like I, I said all that because I wanted to pull that out of you, and I just want to backfill with really the most gold of this hour we've chatted is like, look. I'm going to go back to that statement. Your success will never get in the way of mine. Now, the guys I mentioned are very successful financially, and that's a drop in the bucket. And it's probably the same percentage that I would spend on my hunts. Just We just make different amounts. Mm -hmm. And I have no problem saying, okay, that is their choice to hunt that way. And it's not a big deal. Like, it's cool. I just don't want people to get it twisted and think that's what hunting is. Like, that's a certain style, and it, like you said, uh, elk want to live. Or that you have to do that. That no. you have to make that kind of money to do this because you don't. No, and, and, and there's, like, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a tag from Walmart that's over the counter, and you can go work your tail off with mm -hmm. all the other competition and just 
harvest whatever animal and be so proud of your accomplishment. Don't ever be shamed into not posting something because you don't think someone will say it's big enough or question why you shot it. Don't let your life be dictated by what you think or other people perceive. It's trophy country. It's a trophy experience. And it's with the people that you love. Whoa. Absolutely. That's with the people that you love. And I just wanted to kind of, I wanted to have a creative way to get into this topic. And that's why I kind of put myself out there in that, you know, I just want people to know that there's guys out there like you and me that think, you know, I shot a really big bull in Nevada and that was a special one, you know, pretty much almost once a lifetime tag. I knew that. Um, and then I went over to Idaho and I shot two bulls that aren't even over 300. Both of them herd bulls had their cows and I had the best experience ever and so rewarding. And uh, th- those tags were over the counter on general public land and it was awesome. And that's absolutely, I get off on that. That's my trophy. And, and you only, you can decide what's your experience, but you can't take away from the fact that that's probably the most challenging and slash rewarding style of hunting out there. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's really funny, Dan, because I, I sit here and it's like something that I am super, super passionate is about trying to break this stigma because I, I feel like it's not only does it shed a negative light on hunters in general with not just the non-hunters, like it's the people that are on the fence, like this whole ideal of that the value is in inches, just it blows me away and it infuriates me because you just cheapen not only the whole experience, you cheapen the sacrifice, you cheapen the process, you cheapen the life of the animal. And it just, it infuriates me. In fact, I think back, Dan, we've been friends for 10 years and you are um, an unbelievably successful bow hunter. Like it's like you're, what you do on elk is super, super impressive. And I think I always tell you like, great job. You know, we'll text, I'll see something you'll do. Like, that's awesome. But do you remember, and I I think I'm, as I'm thinking back, I think I've only really reached out to you on social media even one time with a bull that you killed. Do you remember what that bull was? No. You shot a spike. Oh, yeah. Before last. Yeah, uh, 2014, I shot a spike on my second tag. Or on my first tag with no shame. Yeah, and it was like when I saw that picture come up in social media, not only did I like get on the phone like, dude, I'm so proud of you. That is amazing. But I made sure I wanted to make a point, not that I have a following, not that I'm some big platform, but it's just super important to me that like, at least somebody, if I can make the difference where one person can see it, like, holy smokes, this guy just said amazing job. When this guy who does have a platform, who does have a following, who is part of the industry, posts a spike, the impact that you make when you do that, like, Dude, most most memorable bull I've ever seen you kill. That's and awesome. For me. That's Hands awesome, down. man. I appreciate that. And I want more people to just, you know, figure out, you know, you can't fool that. You know, no one's going to be fooled here. People can tell if you're genuine or authentic or if you're maybe fake or phony. And, and I just, I wanted to have a conversation about finances and people understand, look, you do the best with what you have. You work your tail off. And then at the end of the day, you should thank your lucky stars. Thank our creator 
that you have the gift of elk hunting, you have the fitness, mm -hmm. that you have the time off, whatever it is, shorter or a lot, and that you get out there and you have a place that's wild and free that you can go try to get yourself a freezer full of elk meat, which is, I know for you and me personally, like the number one deal is to eat elk for the rest of the year. Like that's it, no matter if it's, it's a big deal, man. There's no really, there's nothing else about it. Like, yeah, there's some bone and stuff, but that's always the last thing to come out of the woods. It's the meat. And I just want more and more hunters to realize, like, just to know where, like, guys like you and I stand and what we're about. And it's just trophy country. I think that's the greatest thing you could have said today and the trophy experiences that you're going to have. And you're not always going to go, I'm going to be happy for those guys that get these big bulls because they're huge accomplishments. And even if they're ranch bulls, man, it's still, like, I watched uh, Cameron Haynes's hunt that he put like out right away after he killed a Utah bull. And oh, have you seen that? Epic. Yeah, dude, I, I still what in my a mind, shot. I'll see. Yeah, I'll see still frames in my mind, like I dream during the day. I don't always daydream seeing myself, but I see that arrow that he shot going through the air in ten rings, like amazing great shot what was it, like 52 yards you know and just pinwheel like oh yeah i see that daily in my mind oh that's Absolutely. why that's awesome. why he shoots every day of the year oh well yeah. am i gonna hate on that no i'm gonna be inspired by maybe i'm not inspired because you know he just strolled through the woods cow called like that's what you see but what you didn't see was like the dude literally trains 365 he shoots his bow 365 and he can run 200 miles straight or two, mm -hmm. 240. Like, so the, I don't want to sound like I'm taking credit away from him because uh, Cameron's actually a, a personal friend of mine, somebody that I can reach out to anytime, and I don't want to sound like a hater because, dude, I mean, I watched that. I don't know if I could have done that. I, I might have been yeah. pee peeing down my leg and my arrow could have flown right over that bull's back. I mean, that was incredible. So that wasn't my point. My point is just like, dude, just know that when you're doing some public land stuff, you're still extremely fortunate. You yeah, have a, you have a general and, tag. You are you are blessed beyond belief. And one of the things that I glean the most from someone like Cameron is like living your life with passion. Like that man is, I, I admire the fact that he is so passionate because those are the people I connect with. I don't care whether it's to skateboard or it's to rock climb or it's to cook or it's to on elk living your life with passion like he does he does every single day he tries to do something to make it part of the process now whether it's people think it's extreme or they think it's narcissistic or they think it's a show like i love it he doesn't care like this is who i am i'm not trying to be anything i just i'm just passionate and that if more people were passionate who knows what we could do? You know, it's just, it's the most powerful thing ever. And we just get, we just get tamed and it gets pushed away. And I, I love, I love it. I love that there's, there's men like us out there that are passionate about what they do. That's cool, man. Well, finishing up on finances. So we did talk a little about, Hey man, we, we're not, uh, we're not dudes that can afford some of that other upper echelon stuff. Um, and it doesn't fade us, but how does a guy like you on your salary and your wife works too, like how do you guys handle finances in a way that parallels your life with fitness, shooting your weapon, doing the hard thing, staying disciplined? 
what are some nuggets for listeners that they can get some energy and some motivation, inspiration, and feed off some of your principles? So the first thing that I do um, when it comes to finances, especially is I have what's referred to uh, as my sock drawer. So my sock drawer is where I pay myself. Like my wife, bless her heart, she is um, the banker in our family. If it wasn't for, like, I, I've often joked about that if she was to leave me, it'd take me three weeks to even figure out where to get money because I, I don't know, right? So I get paid once a month and that she takes care of all that. But off the top of it, every time I get paid, I have an allowance that I get every month. And what I do with that money is that's, that's mine to grow. So I'm very, very disciplined in where I spend my money. And it, that essentially that drawer, that sock drawer, it's, it's like it's hunting and fishing and that's all that it is. And yeah, that's the way that I run it. And then I plan, like I'll look out on a five year kind of plan when it comes to um, the tags that I want. Um, I've, I've always been very fortunate to to live in states that had great opportunity that was somewhat close as well. But then as I've started to venture into some of this out-of-state stuff, it's like, okay, I I can't build a portfolio like a lot of people that where they're like, okay, so I'm going to apply for the limited entry tags at this state that are amazing, and then I'm going to apply for the medium road kind of, you know, green chip areas in this state, and then I'm going to have my guarantees. Because, like, if I end up with, number one, I can't eat it that much. But if, if, if I end up with three elk tags out of state, like that might break my sock drawer. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to be very careful, you know, and I love to hunt other things too. So like for me, a big, big one is like antelope hunting. Not only you want to talk about table fare, mm. but for their tags in most states are fairly accessible, especially as a bow hunter, like, holy smokes, there's a ton of opportunity. Um, they, the tags are the cheapest tags of any tag that you can get out of state. So if, if I was a guy that lived in, you know, Wisconsin and I wanted to come West, like to get my feet wet, to figure out what it's about, to see logistically, like antelope is a great, great bang for your buck. And they have very liberal seasons. So like you take a state like Wyoming, if you're from Wisconsin and you can come out and bow hunt August 15th, and I believe the season then goes till the end of September. And then if you don't get one, uh, you could come back during at like October 15th with a rifle and, you know, hunting antelope in Wyoming with a rifle is, it's more like grocery shopping. Like it's like, they're, they're very numerous. It's a target rich environment. So, um, it gives you an awesome opportunity to number one, have an adventure in new country. And number two, put some of the like greatest table fare there is, in my opinion, like that's where God, the only place I can say God might've messed up is he made elk taste like I love elk meat, but they're not antelope. I wish an antelope was the size of an elk. I don't even know if people believe us, but I'm in the <laughs> same boat. Like I'm trying to figure out how I can go to Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho and yep. just stack up antelope. I want to have like 50 pounds of antelope <laughs> burger, steak, um, roast. I just want to eat antelope every day. My antelope's already gone that I killed in uh, August. It's already I gone. I know, man. It's so frustrating, isn't it? See, I'm really fortunate because I I can always put my dad in then for those rifle hunts. So it works out great. My dad, which is super jacked, I want to share with you guys. Um, so this last Monday, my dad just shot another elk and he turned 80 years old on <laughs> the 8th of October. So oh it's pretty, pretty stinking awesome. You know, still out there 
still doing it. Um, you want to talk about looping back to our conversation in health and wellness. And like, I want that. Like I, I want every season I can get and yeah, super, super proud of the old man. It's awesome. Well, man, I want to end on that note. That is pretty cool. And recap, like, so we talked about Levi day just as a guy that I know, um, one of the best people I've ever met. I wish we lived closer. He is hardworking, blue collar, educator, educated, hardworking fitness guy, family first, puts his wife first, great hunter, always has hunted on a budget and made it happen for himself. And not only a budget financially, but a budget with time and the fact that school starts mm-hmm. and you still have found success. And you're someone who's had a great attitude and always seen the big picture of what hunting really means to you, as well as your lifestyle of eating organic. And then to talk about some of the maybe jealousy that people might have or perceive as what is the ultimate success and, and trying to, you know, reel it back in and say, no, be proud of the animal you harvest. Be proud that you're a public land hunter and don't hate just put more energy into working harder so you have no regrets at the end of season. So I feel like this is a pure gold episode. Financial discipline parallels fitness, parallels nutrition, parallels business. I mean, everything we've talked about today should try to make people better, the better, the best version of themselves. And I think every day we have the opportunity to try to figure out what our weaknesses are and tackle them straight on. That's awesome, man. I can't thank you enough again for the opportunity to come on here and just be able to visit with you. Shoot, it seems like this is the only way we can catch up. It's terrible. I must talk way too much. We didn't even get to get into how we met. Well, we should end on that. Let's end on that. I don't care, uh, I don't, I don't care how long this thing goes, but we're at a, uh, hour 18. Let's, uh, let's finish with how Levi and Dan met. Okay, so this story. You talk about, you know, we're going to loop back again. We talk about... Um, reaching out to people and not being afraid to figure out number one, the type of man that you want to be and then trying to find like-minded people that you feel like you can set the ego down and learn all you can from. So I was very early on in my fitness journey. Um, I've been a bow hunter since I was like 13, but um, had mainly spent a lot of time rifle hunting, but also archery hunting but wasn't, hadn't taken it to the level of discipline, let's say, that I am now. So I got to looking around, and I found this, this web page on the Internet that was about these two dudes, and it was called Train to Hunt. And I'm like, what the heck? Train to Hunt? Like, okay, I can dig that. Like, that's, you know, I f- first started from gaining passion tell you know you talk about cam and the running and it's like well i okay but this i can wrap my mind around and i look up and I'm like contact us where are they from I'm like 509 that's they live in washington well at the time i was in idaho i was like okay cool so i'm gonna call these guys so i call and talk to dan and i don't remember how we got to like talking about the bird I think you might have just thrown it out there. Like, are you going to the bird? I probably didn't even know what it was. I was like, well, I don't think so. You know, Dan, you know, being uh, a great guy, like you said, he's not afraid to, to, when you guys reach out to him to get back to you, like, he's like, why don't you go with us? We're going down. And I'm like, okay, I'm going with you. So 
get off the phone. I tell my wife about this and she looks at me like, great, I'm going to find you in a ditch somewhere. Come to find out, we hear the conversation of Dan and at the time his partner, Kenton Claremont, were like, okay, so what are we going to do uh, with this guy? And of course, you know, like, we'll just, we'll just leave him in a ditch somewhere, you know? So it was pretty funny when we were looking back on it all talking, but they ended up coming down, picked me up in Weezer and they stuffed me in the back of like, Kenton had this like Mazda car that was tiny and they had all the train to hunt stuff and we were going to Bocast at the Bird at the time. They call it something different now, but in Snowbird. It's uh, called you, the Total Archery Challenge now. Total, total Archery Challenge. And uh, so I get like wedged in the back of this, this car and they've got all the stuff piled in and we've got three bows. And yeah, we bombed down to Utah. We don't really know where we're going, I'm assuming, but no one wanted to say that. So we end up spending the night at a place that I'm pretty sure didn't just have mosquitoes. They were a direct descendant of pterodactyls. Like, yeah, these things, <laughs> these things were unbelievable. And we slept on the benches of a park. And I'm pretty sure the cops came in the middle of the night, were shining their lights, but the, we just didn't pay any attention because you had their... I could just see the light through the zipper in my sleeping bag because you had to have the sleeping bag pulled up over your head. I just kept pretending I'm an Alaska hunting moose, you know? Yeah. And uh, then we went up and, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable experience and a great opportunity to meet two just um, super great men. And, uh, yeah, it's been almost 10 years already, buddy, and I just can't even believe it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we, that was a fun deal. I mean, we didn't know who Levi was. He asked for us to pick him up and uh, or I invited you. I'm not sure what, but we picked I you up. I can't remember. Yeah. We picked you up and you came and uh, you come to find out we were just kind of winging it and we stayed in a park uh, somewhere in Salt Lake because uh, we were all too <laughs> too cheap. We had just started, started oh, yeah. uh, the train to hunt, started a gym. We were poor and we camped out in a park and we went and shot the bird and got to know you and sparked a lifelong friendship. It was, that's what bow hunting can do for you. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Water always finds its own level, brother. That's right, man. Well, Levi, you're a good human. I appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Go chase some birds or do whatever you got to do. And, um, we'll talk soon. And we'll also talk about you and I maybe hooking up in November or at the worst spring bear, but you and I are hunting, hunting together soon. Absolutely, man. That sounds great. Hey, thank you again, Dan. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, get to visit with you, if nothing else. My pleasure. All right. Take care, Levi. All right. Bye. Bye.